0: Hi, this is Greg Fenton, and you are listening to Mediation Station. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at 647-227-4734 or greggf at primus.ca. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA, 1610am, and Greg Fenton. Listen in here to podcasts of each radio show each week. When I get an opportunity, I'll take the master file and I'll edit it and upload it to SoundCloud and then it goes to iTunes and then I post it also on Facebook and LinkedIn and it's an opportunity for you to access the shows at another time, when it's not always convenient for you. Our topic tonight is called "Mums, Sons, and Mediators, with our visitor, Brad Heckman, and he'll be with me momentarily. So as I mentioned, today, today is a special day, and I have a special guest, friend, colleague, frequent visitor here, Brad Heckman. He's on the line calling in. And we're going to talk about moms, sons, and meteors. How are you doing, Brad?
1: I'm I'm doing well, Greg. Other than the, uh, pandem- the pandemic, the uh, political insanity, and the murder hornets, but otherwise, I'm I'm doing fine. How are you?
0: I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm all right. I'm here alone in the. Uh, I'm isolated in the studio. Nobody with me. Oh. So, Ed, That's helpful. Actually, Likewise. sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, likewise, I'm, uh, I'm socially distant here in my, uh, my New York City East Village lair.
0: A lair, yeah. Are you a lion or lion person?
1: Cat no, person? I, 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 I am a Leo, and uh, I think thanks to Netflix, we're all, we're all big cat people nowadays, if you watch uh, Tiger King.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know too much about it, so you can fill me in through the course of the hour. Somehow
1: it will it will lower your IQ by at least three points by watching it. So um, I don't have too much of a definitely. threshold
0: left, though. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what I did tonight, because it is Mother's Day today, and that's why we're focusing on moms, especially our own moms, I brought a couple photos of my mom, and I put them on the, the sill here, and uh, she's, so she's here with me. I'm uh, not totally okay. alone. How about we start off like we usually do and you you know give a little bit of understanding about you and then we can navigate into how you have transitioned yourself to be somewhat different because of covid nineteen
1: um yeah sure i'm 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 currently a, a professor at New York University Center for Global Affairs where I teach uh, mediation and peace building and and like courses um I'm an amateur illustrator, and uh, uh, b- before this, I I founded an organization called New York Peace Institute, which is one of the largest community-based mediation services in New York City, and they're uh, they're they're currently doing a lot of great work, and it's all it's it's all online now, thanks to uh, social distancing.
0: Well, the reality of that for sure. So, how have you, uh, in terms of your life, been affected, or are affected by COVID with the reality that most of us have to stay indoors for most of our time.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like, like many of us, I'm operating on a few different levels. I mean, one is much of the day to day hasn't changed a whole lot. And, you know, I, I live by myself. I don't have any kids. So like that reality hasn't changed. You know, thank goodness. I'm not responsible for homeschooling anyone in subjects that I know nothing about. Um, and, New York has has adapted fairly well. I mean, we are the we're the hot spot, we're the epicenter. Um, but this is the kind of city that could go in a couple of different directions. People could either go completely bonkers, like uh, if you remember the 1970s movie The Warriors, where people just go out onto this on the streets and cause mayhem, or people could really uh, kind of band together. And it's been more more the latter than the former. So I've been grateful to see that. Um, and, and yet it's weird to have the city this bustling city feel a little bit like a like a ghost town so it's been odd I think I think for me the the most difficult adjustment has been teaching remotely as 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 opposed to being you know in the room for an experiential learning experience so that's been a little bit tough but but you know ov- overall it's, it's okay and in fact I've I've kind of forgotten what it's like to be in the same room with, with people other than myself.
0: Well, that'll be a transition for us once we get to uh, get the uh, okay, if you want to call it, to go out and socialize her a little bit more than we currently are. Of sure. course, we're going to have to use cautious means to do so. so sure. So what, what have you noticed about your own mindset and behavior? That you may not have been as mindful of prior to spending so much time. Not by yourself, rather with yourself. How, how I frame it, as uh, I believe when we are alone, we are actually better connecting with ourselves as company.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's really true, and I I, I realize that I'm I'm actually grateful for being fairly well engineered for this kind of thing. I mean, it's not like I, not like I welcome solitary confinement at any time in my life, but as as an only child and as an introvert by nature and kind of a nester. Like, I, I've actually, I've, I've adapted well to this, and uh, I think um, I could have this wrong, but I think it was um, Pascal who said that the majority of mankind's problems stem from his inability to sit quietly alone in a room. So I'm, at least I'm uh, avoiding many of mankind's problems by uh, by going through this.
0: In terms of the the neighborhood, because you do post a lot on uh, social media and uh, you take your frequent, yeah, you, you know, goings out and you film some of that stuff. Have uh, people noticed you doing that?
1: Um, people on the street, not yeah. so much because we try to, you know, to, to keep socially distant. And a lot of people are doing that. I see a lot of people filming and, and speaking into their phones. Um, in terms of uh, on, on social media um, yeah, a few people have have commented that they've they've appreciated witnessing my my descent into madness on on social media
0: so you know uh today's mother's day of course, and uh I reached out to you particularly because I know that uh you had and i would say still have for sure and you will be best to express that yourself a uh very profound connection with your mom. And for me, that she was integral for me, and she's moved on, passed on to another world. She did so about seven and a half years ago. And there's not a day that goes by that uh, I don't feel affected from missing her and not having her physical presence and the opportunity to engage with her in, uh, in the relationship that we did have. How do you, how do you see this day for yourself?
1: Well, I, I I suspect we see it similarly, and and you know we share that loss, Greg. And yeah, I mean every day, uh, at some point, she's uh, kind of a go-to person I want to call and ask for her uh, advice on something, even though I would, I'm likely to be resistant to it. So we had, uh, you know, I was I was very lucky um, in that when she passed away, uh, just a little over two years ago, we we did get to spend a lot of time together towards the end and I really came to understand a lot about her and about myself from that from that time together and have come to really realize how how profoundly she impacted me and my career and my my way of looking at the world and and I imagine it may be the same for you Greg.
0: Yeah I you know when I reached out to you I I think I broached it in a way that uh How was our mother, how are our respective mothers integral, a foundation for how we identify in terms of the career path decisions we've made? And for me, my mom uh, was integral for that. I mean, she went through a lot of circumstances. Uh, You know, I come from a family of six kids, a number four. Family dynamics disintegrated. Early on, I would say when I was uh, about uh, 12 or so. And then, uh, unfortunately, some of the siblings went on one side and others went another side. And uh, you may be able to identify that I went with my mom. And from mm-hmm. that experience of going with my mom, uh, more impacts were felt from being with her because of that because my natural father did say to me directly, if you're going to stay with your mother, you're going to pay for it. And he made sure of that. And um, he had already created a legacy with my mom and her struggles with the abuse and the nature of his behavior when the, his uh, intimate relationship transitioned from being a couple to separates, which took like 10 years to navigate through the court system. And so a lot of these things have reached, you know, to my core, my gut, as to how I've organized myself over the years to consciously do certain things, more intensity, more focus on them. And so, you know, I'm at a loss for more words that, you know, it'll come out because I'm actually opening up more on this Particular show than I normally do. It's usually about the person you, like the visitor, which will shift to more than me.
1: Well, Greg, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm honored to to hear of this dimension of yourself. I didn't know that, and 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 it strikes me that you know having 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 been through a family separation. Uh, like that, in which people chose sides, that you gravitated towards a career which is about bringing people together, or at least helping them um, separate together. And it, it, it feels to me like uh, on some level that must have had some impact on, on the, not only who you are as a person, but the journey that you chose career-wise.
0: Yeah. So how would you say your mom, how would you stru- describe your mother?
1: So my mom, uh, uh, her name's Veronica. Uh, she went by Lonnie. Mm-hmm. Force of nature comes to mind, small but mighty. So she was like a, she was maybe four feet ten. Um, I don't know what that is in metric, but it's it's small. And that's including a pretty sizable bouffant hairdo. And she was, she just had this presence about her. And, and she was a nurse, and nurses are tough. So I, I definitely... I like to think that I inherited that kind of caring, nurturing side, but, but in a really tough way. So uh, in terms of the the way I approach mediation and peace-building and conflict transformation, you know, really isn't necessarily from the peace-building kumbaya singing, hugging outside, but like a kind of fierce way of looking at bringing people together. And that's very much who who she was. And, and one of the things that... Um, that I always admired about her and always felt that I lacked was she just had this uh, amazing ability to relate to people of, of, of any background or status. And I was always in awe of her social skills as someone who found myself really, really introverted and socially awkward. And uh, and I was always surprised when people would say to me, when they would see me in a performative or teaching context, that they were they were stunned that I was introverted. Mm -hmm. And it was only, only like when my mom was literally on her deathbed that I had this conversation with her and which I told her, I said, you know, look, like, how do you do it? How do you have this energy and this ability to relate to different people? And she said, oh, it's so stressful. I'm so stressed. I'm so socially awkward and have to really like um, kind of disappear into myself for a few hours after those engagements. And then I realized like, wow, we're, we're, were not so different af- after all, and that was like a really profound revelation uh, two years ago.
0: You mentioned about your mom and uh, that uh, profound kind of a conversation that you had. How do you, how do you, do you how did you process that? Was it in the moment, or was it like reflection later?
1: Well, well, both. It was. It was just. A, it was a great. Feeling of connection between us, and I just said I had I had no idea, and you know I, I knew that my mom suffered from various anxiety issues and some other um, other things, and but this particular dimension of her really struck me, and then I remember having a conversation with other other family members, um, and we all said, yeah, I got that too, and we all so it was it was cathartic and meaningful, and it's something I think about frequently in my. In my, in my job now and in my teaching because uh, one of the courses that I taught this past semester was about how to build a presence in a classroom, how to teach, how to train, how to present and, and, and how to really filter that through some of your own uh, uh, insecurities, vulnerabilities and hang-ups around, uh, around having a social presence.
0: Our, our realities of ourselves and how we see ourselves in relation to other people. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. I mean, you're not, from my point of view, and I clearly would say this, you're a very humane... uh, uh, You're not... Well, let's put it for positives. You're a person that's very approachable, socially engaging, and, uh, well, extremely smart, and gifted in many ways. And at the same time, I can see the vulnerability of some form. In some way, I hear that or feel that through your voice through you ah,
1: well yeah i will i will accept all of that and 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 thank you and um well how 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 does all of this land on you greg i'm kind of uh I'm in what in what you way you. i what mean, do you mean um well, I mean, I, I know you certainly through us um, uh, meeting in Toronto and also through, certainly through this show and extended mm-hmm. contacts. And, and you, too, strike me as someone who um, is engaging and secure and also has a, a humility about yourself. And I'm wondering how, how or if you find the need to, to reconcile those, those dimensions of all that is Greg Fenton.
0: Well, I appreciate you providing the space for me to also contribute to the conversation, which is a good mediator person. And one of your skill sets, for sure, because this is a conversation. It's not an interview, and it's more fluid and flowing amongst us. And I remember when I, I uh, was younger, I wanted to, or I, I identified as being someone to go to law. And I visited that, and I was serious to, you know, consider about applying for schools. And then I said to myself, mm, No. Because profoundly, I am about trying to work with people to help support them through their struggles. At the same time, I felt like, as a social change person, that I would struggle with, quote, the construct of a system that separates, and from my point of view, marginalizes people and their ability to express from their own point of view, and from that, to make conscious decisions about their lived experiences, especially in relation to someone else. So I put a pause on that, and then uh, I was working at a shoe store with specialty shoes. And actually, the person was my mom's second husband, who actually I identified as my father. And then from that experience, I revisited because he died suddenly. I had to transition to something else again. It was into shoes because my mom and I moved, And, and you know more struggles. These lived experiences of the moment. It's how you intersect with them, how you process them to whether they go down, quote, a negative path or, quote, do something with it to reframe it into something more hopeful or positive. And that's what I did incrementally. And I revisited after years, hmm, should I go into law? Because I had, you know, been in the specialty shoe store for years. And then I decided No, I found out about this course, Certificate in Dispute Resolution, and I said, hey, hmm, that matches up a little more with me because I see an opportunity about collaboration and working with interests rather than positions and adversarial approaches. So I took that, and that was actually the pathway that opened up for me to then go into community mediation. Very similar to you, in 97, I... Went to, I did an internship in 1998, and I stayed with the agency as a volunteer mediator. And then I was hired, and I worked up to director of a community transformation program. And this is where I've connected with my passion and then my purpose. And that's what I've looked to build upon over the years.
1: That is beautiful. So you went from measuring people's souls to, to finding your soul. Huh? Okay. Very,
0: that's punny. No, that's good. Well, <laughs> that's good. You're <laughs> I, for, I forgot to let people know that there's a, 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 another side, or, well, it's not another side. It's part of, it's within. And the puns are, you know, I, I really relate to that and I appreciate you sharing those. And uh, yeah, the soul. You're a soul man, too.
1: <laughs> well said, yeah. Um, too bad uh, Joni Cass is number
0: Oh, my God.
1: The, the pun maestra of, uh, of
0: Facebook these days. Yeah, Joni's not been here with us for a number of weeks. Uh, I think, in addition to whatever has been going on outside, there's, you know, other things going on in her life that uh, haven't provided her the space to be here. On, and she's known as the Radio Elf, Elfie. And Hi. Uh, Hi. yeah, and you you guys have a good banter on the, on Facebook in terms of the puns.
1: We do, we do every day. She uh, she sends me a pun challenge, which sometimes I accept and sometimes I don't. It's, uh, yeah, but she's she's wonderful.
0: So, what do you, from your mom and uh, your relationship with her? What do you what do you see from that that has contributed to you know the decisions you made in, in terms of a career?
1: Well, that that dimension of our relationship wasn't always. Easy and 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 like you, pursuing the law was something that that seemed to be in my future. And my my parents, uh, both coming from a pretty blue collar working class kind of background, really really saw that in me. And my mom in particular, as a first generation American, wanted to see her kid be be successful. And I'm putting that in air quotes because for for her and that generation, that meant being a doctor or a lawyer and. Uh, I wasn't good enough in math or science to go in the lawyer, in the doctor direction. So a law school seems to be the thing, but without me really examining what that would mean. And uh, um, and I, I remember just before, the day before taking the LSAT, so in the States the exam that you have to take to go on to law school, I just figured, like, this was not for me. And I remember at the time it being really difficult devastating for my mom because it, it, it seemed to feel to her like I wasn't fulfilling her, her wishes and dreams for me to, uh, mm-hmm. um, to do that which uh, she couldn't have in her generation. And yet, one of the reasons I didn't want to become a lawyer was because I was, I was deeply interested in, in helping people in a different way. And I was raised by a teacher and, and a nurse. So whether she knew it or not, like that, that decision was, was largely informed by, by who she was. And eventually, once she saw me carve out a career in mediation, even though uh, when I was younger I had no idea what it was, and I think until late in life she wasn't quite clear on what mediation was. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a profession that markets itself pr- particularly well. Um, but I think I think she eventually came around to feeling really good and really really proud of it, and that's something that I'm you know I'm grateful that she lived long enough to see.
0: How did you make that uh, shift then to? From being on the cusp of entering into the law profession in some way, going through school, to then, okay, what do I need to do? I want to be this person who helps people in a different kind of approach. What did you do in a tangible way to try to open up the pathway to become, quote, the mediator?
1: Um, well, nothing intentional. I mean, I, I figured if I was going to be a lawyer, I would I would go into civil rights law or something that would have some do some net social good. Uh, instead, I, I graduated from college in 1989, and I hightailed it to Poland, which at that time was was a Soviet puppet state, and I really had no idea what I was going to do, but just. Just by chance, that's when the Berlin Wall fell and the revolutions broke out. And that, that kind of opened my eyes and shifted my own, my own political bearings from, from being a, kind of a fist in the air, stick it to the man kind of guy, which I, I still am largely, to, to seeing how the power of dialogue can transform not only individuals, but, but countries and regimes. So that kind of ignited a spark in me and, 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 and eventually led me towards mediation.
0: Yeah, and it opened up that pathway. Because I I feel from what you're saying is that, uh, you know, you, you saw people's struggles, and you saw that as actually an opportunity from, you know, people were trying to deal with things consciously in some way, maybe not having the best experience with it, maybe not being equipped the best way to navigate with them, and somehow you saw yourself as being an agent of change, if you want to call it, somebody who would get involved to help support and assist other people to navigate through their struggles and tensions and changes?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, so beautifully said. And I think uh, in a way that that relates to my mom is as, as a nurse, you know, nurses have among the hardest jobs out there. There's, it's a physically demanding job. You're kind of schlepping and moving people around. It's emotionally challenging. There's certainly the medical aspect of it. And, it's, and at least back in the day when she was doing it, it wasn't always the most respected job. So she was under pressure from doctors, families, patients, and often subjected to like people not at their very best yet. She navigated it so beautifully with a degree of assertiveness and humility, which I, I, I later found to be the real core values of, of being a mediator. And just the idea of seeing how, in in poland and in south africa and in countries around the world in 1989 how how sworn enemies were able to sit down and if not fully put their differences aside at least start to see each other as three-dimensional and that was just incredible to me and uh, you know i don't know if at that time i saw myself being worthy of being any kind of a catalyst or element of change but it definitely it definitely headed me in that direction
0: yeah and i understand about the You know, the concept that as long as people are talking in some form, some manner, there's still opportunity. It's once the talk stops, it becomes uh, a real challenge to get something going.
1: Yeah, I really agree with that. And, and I often tell people that I'm training as mediators that since it's a voluntary process, as long as people are still at the table, there's, there's something going on because yeah. they, they have the opportunity to leave at, at any moment. So if they're still there, uh, something is going right, whether it's evident to us or not.
0: And even if they say, no, I can't do this, I won't do that, and you know their body language speaks something different because they're still physically present, engaging in that physical connection, though with their verbal, it may be saying one thing. And that's why I see it so important for us as mediators to use the active listening skills to connect with the spoken and the unspoken forms of communication.
1: Absolutely. And, and uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how, how our, how our growing online dispute resolution platforms are going to work out since that's kind of the only game in town now. And I know, I know from, from teaching using zoom, uh, some things are so much more difficult, uh, Something as simple as eye contact is nearly impossible. It, you know, it's said that, uh, that when we're using a platform like Skype or Zoom that, that many people spend more time looking at their own image than at other people's. And I, I may or may not be guilty of that, but it's hard to know. It's hard to know who's making eye contact with whom. So it makes it, it makes it even more important for, for me to be Aware of, of body language, nonverbal leakage, micro gestures, and, and with the technology, actually like choosing not to use some of the technology. So if you, if you've done a lot of Zoom calls, there's a, a feature where you can click a little icon to raise your hand. And I, I, I actually tell my students not to use that, to, to rather keep scanning the room and look for someone who seems to have a, Uh, a question or a quizzical look on their face and and not rely on the the technology but but try to make this as human a platform as possible given given its limitations
0: yeah for sure i i totally understand that what what borough are you in
1: i'm in the borough of manhattan uh, in a neighborhood called the east village
0: okay cool and you know a connection too. and i mentioned this early on in our one of our previous uh conversations my mom's from new york and she's from the South Bronx, and uh, when I was young, I used to go there quite often, because her parents were still alive and living there, and uh, we used to go back in Madison Square Garden, go to the circus, and go to Coney Island, etc., etc. So I can appreciate the, you know, the the diversity of uh, life in New York City. What What do you? What do, you, what do you see your purpose in and being a mediator what what I know you talked about trying to help people but do you see something more definitive Brad oh actually hold on can we lost our contact and we'll we'll get right back to it welcome back to the program this is the realities of live radio how you doing Brad
1: I'm doing well other than having inadvertently hung up on you and I am, I am something I said to so you so sorry for this <laughs> Um, I don't, you know, you said Madison Square Garden, so maybe that somehow triggered something in me. I don't know. Now, I am using an old rotary phone here, so I can blame the technology on that.
0: You got a rotary still. Good.
1: Is, it, I really don't have a rotary phone, uh, although I, uh, fine. You know, okay, I, I you, up
0: with him. you pulled my leg. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> we will, We were talking about technology and Zoom and all the you know, the features it has, and then all of a sudden we had a technical issue. So it's ironic. (laughs) Indeed. So uh, I was asking, what what do you see your purpose, intention? I know it's to help people. As a mediator, though, I mean you, and before I get you to say that, you went in purposely, too, with community mediation. So what started you on that pathway, too?
1: It was... Honestly, it was pure luck. I mean, I, I knew that I had an interest in, in social justice in some way and in seeing the transitions in Central and Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union, a belief that change can happen through a dialogue, but it was all kind of unformed and uneducated at that point. And luckily, uh, in the uh, early, mid-90s, I was hired by, by one of the founding fathers of, of community mediation in the U.S., a gentleman named Raymond Schonholz, who... Founded what I believe is the first community mediation center in the states uh, out in uh, the Bay Area in California. Yeah, and he had the zany idea to to go to the then new democracies and some of the post post conflict and post revolution countries um, in the former Soviet Union and and set up community mediation as an alternative to going through judicial systems that were either corrupt or nascent or uh, or, or inefficient. So. Um, I went along for the ride with him for a number of years and i i i learned uh, i learned mediation i learned the nuts and bolts of how to set up a mediation uh center and system, and then was able to transfer those learnings uh back here to the states
0: and thus you founded new york peace institute
1: yeah about ten years ago mm-hmm.
0: and what was it like for you at the in in that infancy time when it was just an entity, then you got an office space of some form, I assume?
1: Well, yeah, but first we got kicked out of an office space. So so what happened was we were actually a spinoff of a much larger victims services organization called Safe Horizon, and for a number of reasons, they were going to shut down their mediation program. So I made a, a, a play to see if we can spin it off and be an independent organization. And it was... Looking looking back on it, it was a pretty frenetic time. So, in, in about a six month period, I had to do everything from build a brand, to develop a board of directors and a staffing pattern, and uh, raise funds, get a team on board, um, and it was a group effort. There were a lot of us involved in it, but it was it was it was pretty frantic. And my goal was to do this without losing a day of service to our clients. I felt that this was too important. Uh, a service to the people of New York that we didn't have the luxury of dropping even even one day of, of being in service to the the communities that we serve. How
0: did you see the kinds of mediations that you did relative to what the quote uh, the court system might
1: traditionally deal with? Well, you know, we were we were both an alternative to the court to the court system and uh, and in some ways an annex to it. So we, we you know we had and have or mediators mediators. Placed within small claims and civil courts, so there's an option right there on site for people to choose mediation. But but also much of the community mediation we we did, um, like like many forms of mediation, we say that we you know we begin where the law ends. So you know, whereas you may go to court for something transactional, the the underlying issues of of respect and understanding are something that that our court system here uh, aren't aren't particularly well designed to handle. So. So certainly we were able to help thousands of people resolve disputes around transactional things like childcare and noise and money, but also just to help people see each other more more human and more three-dimensionally and, and see people engage in these heroic acts of forgiveness and healing and reconciliation that you don't often get to see uh, within the court system.
0: Yeah, you know, I identify it the community-based, because here the traditional community-based mediation isn't directly connected into the court system. It's more traditionally into the community itself. Though, of course, there's some relationships that are established, because I remember where I was at Conflict Mediation Services of Downsview, that we had program in what's called a private information court. It's a criminal justice approach when somebody has an issue with somebody that's in the realm of criminal law, and it's a more minor offense. So it can be uttering threat, it could be a minor assault. Um, it goes to this a person would go to what's called the justice of the peace and have a conversation and explain about the situation. And if they felt that is the justice, there was some merit to having it heard, not making a determination whether it was right or wrong, that they would then lay an information or a charge. And people would then be streamed into the criminal justice system. And then they, what we call here the prosecutor or the crown would take over ownership of the charge and navigate it through the system. And so private information court was where we would work with uh, going on Thursday mornings, reviewing the case files with the crown, and then deferring some of those off to try to do mediation instead. So it's a more relational approach.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love that you call it the crown. I have to say that that's probably quite normal uh, up up where you are. But (laughs) but as an American to hear the crown, that just sounds awesome.
0: Well, you know, we're the part of the monarchy and that's part of the overseer of, uh, you know, the queen is our, quote, our head. We have the governor general here who's a representative of the queen. We have our elected leader, the prime minister. You know, we, so we use a lot of terminology that's uh, resonating from our colonial days, because we're part of, we're still part of the Commonwealth. So the crowd, yeah,
1: yeah, I, I love it, and 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 I have to say, as as a country, without you know, without delving too deeply into politics, um, hats off to, to the way Canada is. Uh, at least from my perspective down here, handling the, the COVID nineteen pandemic and, and and your leadership as well. In terms of uh, um, speaking, particularly of, of, of Ford, seeing like just a, a very different embodiment of, of of who he is and how he's handled the pandemic. And uh, I would I, I wish he were an inspiration for um, some of our leaders here.
0: I think he's being influenced too, though, from the top, which would be uh, Trudeau. Um, Mm -hmm. in terms of his approach, because there was a lot of tension with what Mr. Ford was doing prior to the pandemic. And, you know, like you, I don't want to get into the politics of things, though it has a lived connection with the realities that people navigate with their worlds and, you know, struggles. And conflict is a reality of it and how the quality of our lived experiences does relate to how we deal with things and how we don't deal with things. And then thus you know, as third parties or mediators, we can be an intervener of some form to help support people at a particular moment to sort of help others to help themselves to better navigate through those moments.
1: For sure, for sure. And, and I think you and I have talked before about how challenging it can be in, in our profession where, where neutrality is a key value and yet sometimes we're living within a political reality that just feels Utterly bananas, and you know, and, and how to um, uh, how to thread that needle in a way that honors our profession, but also honors some of the things underlying our profession, like a commitment to to peace and nonviolence, and and so on. And I find that that's getting uh, since the time you and I met, which was shortly after the the American presidential elections, mm-hmm. now it's just been it's been increasingly amplified.
0: Yeah. So how do we like navigate when we're working to assist people in their particular moments that are maybe a crisis or they're so profound in some way, yet there, there's also the added layers of all these other things going on simultaneously. And then in addition with this unique situation from my lived experience with the pandemic and COVID-19, that just puts more on the plate of people's lived experiences.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a lot. And, uh, and now that we're, we're socially isolated, we're relying more and more on social media, which is, you know, which is a series of platforms that aren't Mm -hmm. designed terribly well for people to to hear each other. So it's, it's been, it's, it's been fascinating. I mean, um, I, mean, I, I have no wisdom and no answers. I, I do have to say that that any kind of crisis will, will bring out the best and worst in people, as as we know. And one of the things that I, you know, that I do find heartwarming about New York City is that, as, as isolated as we are, there um there's a certain there's a certain um, uh, politeness and camaraderie that comes out in New York City uh, amidst crisis. We saw it after September 11th, after Hurricane Sandy. And now one of the things we have, and I think you're observing this as well um, in Canada, every every night at 7, people go to their windows, they bang pots, they yell, they scream, they cheer in, in in honor of the frontline workers. And frontline workers now means not only law enforcement and medical professional, it means delivery professionals and people who are working in stores and these everyday unsung heroes. And it, sometimes it's these little moments of like that that, that transcend all the baloney that we're feeling and seeing in the political spectrum and on, uh, and on social media. So, um, you know, I'm equally dismayed and touched by a lot of what we're seeing going on.
0: And I I would say that, uh, it's the, the, those moments, those smallest moments when we show some empathy and compassion, some kindness to another person one-on-one that can be so impactful on another person. And I think that's the concept to build upon in terms of trying to work to navigate people from a st- place of struggle to a place of, quote, betterment in some form.
1: Yeah, and and crisis can really bring that out. And um, you know, Since we started talking about our moms, it reminds yeah. me of... Oh, actually, this uh, I'll weave two threads together here because I know our friend Joni refers to you as Yoda-la, a reference to uh, the beloved Star Wars character Yoda. And uh, I'm gonna. I don't know if you saw the Star Wars prequels or not. Not a fan myself, but there is, there is a scene where where Yoda is walking along, hobbling along, walking with a cane, and he seems like this, you know, this this diminutive, frail creature. And then he gets into a lightsaber fight, and he just goes bonkers. He's bouncing off the walls, he's flying around with the lightsaber, and it reminded me so much of my mom, where you know she would seem to be in this kind of Rail uh, this frail state, uh, state. But the minute like someone would trip and fall, or there being a, a, a medical emergency, she would get like this this superhuman Yoda like power and snap into being. And I and I am seeing a variation of that. So on the one hand, we're kind of like, you know, we're kind of zombified and numb and hunkered down in our apartments. But we are at the same time and same time coming together and and being as as heroic as one can be, uh, sometimes by just getting through the day under
0: um, yeah. these conditions. And obviously, the transition from a mother to a son. And yes, I know daughters are also mediators. You know, I, I just don't identify as a daughter, though uh, four of my siblings are female. It's just I, I wanted to express this from my point of view because I, di- I actually did a radio show with my mom when she was alive in uh, the same year before she passed so she passed in 2012 in May of 2012 for Mother's Day the show was titled Moms as Mediators and I had her here with another friend Irene and they talked about their role as being the mediators within the family dynamic.
1: Oh that's that's so wonderful that you had her on your show um, and yeah, my, you know, my mom was in, in many ways a, a matriarch in, in, in the family, and, uh, oh, speaking of the crown, when she was a kid, uh, they, the neighborhood game that the kids used to play was the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, which I guess happened around the time when she was young, and she always played the queen, so she was kind of, uh preternaturally designed to be kind of a monarch in the family, and therefore the, the person who brought us uh, together, and, you know, she didn't use mediation skills the way you or I might, might define them. Um, she was a bit more blunt. Uh, but one of her, one of her, her most beloved quotes was, uh, Brad or whomever, don't talk so stupid, which I would <laughs> translate as a, uh, you could reframe it in the Buddhist way of don't say anything unless it's, uh, true, useful, and kind. So, uh, in, in her own way, she was, she was more of a mediator than she knew.
0: Well, she was using reality checking there, getting you to connect with your, you know, is that working for you, type of thing.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: So, what does uh, this conversation mean to you?
1: Well, first of all, it's always lovely to connect with you, Greg, and um, it, it, it's to have a little bit of space to talk about our, our moms and their influence. That that really does mean that that means a lot. This has been you know th- this is this has been a weird period for so for so many of us it's one of those times where when someone says well how are you like it's hard to even answer that question so to so to step back and to um conjure up some positive memories of our moms and how how meaningful they've, they've been to us and still are it means a lot so so thank you for that greg mhm um,
0: you know it's an uh, for me it's an opportunity on this day to commemorate somebody that I see as a foundation or integral for what I do or try to do. Uh, I do it the way I try to do. I mean, it's different from another person, and that's to be celebrated because I see the possibilities increase exponentially for others when there are different kinds of ways of doing things because the nature of society is diverse. Difference is something to be celebrated. And you know, in Toronto, it's very diverse. New York is exceptionally diverse.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I I, um, I hope you continue to continue to honor your mom. And I oh my goodness, I'd love to hear the uh, I'd love to hear the show with your mom on it. So if that's if that's there in the archive somewhere, um, I would love to hear it. Oh, I th-
0: I believe it's in the SoundCloud uh, uh, playlist that I have out there. Uh, I'll do a little research and uh, pull it out and get the link, and I'll, I can send it to you. And I might uh, put it out there again. So my mom, too, was somebody who could be quite uh, directive at points. Of course, she had her nature to be, you know, working with people. That was the first option of approach. And at times when uh, there was a need, she could tell her piece because she's trying to navigate with six people in the, well, kids in the home. And, uh, you know, you got to be a multitasker to try to organize yourself that way.
1: Sure. Well, Greg, um, if you don't mind my asking, where, where are you in the bo- the birth order of the six kids? Number four. Ah, I knew it. So you're more or less a middle child, which, uh, which some junk studies suggest uh, make the best mediators. So you nailed it.
0: So it was meant to be? Like this was my I, I, destiny? I would
1: say. It was, I don't know about destiny, but it was definitely, you know, a factor in your favor for sure. Totally adds up.
0: Yeah, there's, uh, of the six, there are four females and two males. And the first is a male, and then two females, and then a male and two females. I don't know if she planned it that way or some. Well, just <laughs> so happens, whatever. So how is doing all the type of work you do as a, quote, peace person affected you as a human being?
1: I would like to think positively. Uh, however, <laughs> like people, people frequently um, will say to me, like, wow, like you, you must just be like a Jedi with relationships. You probably never get into arguments. You're great. And then if you ask anyone who's been in any kind of relationship with me, they'll they'll probably tell you that I'm okay Uh until I start trying to use that mediation BS on them so like, I, I would say like, I, I don't know if it's made me a better person I think it's made me a more self-aware person of, yeah. of knowing when when something is triggering me and you know my amygdala is hijacked into my reptilian brain so I think it's made me more aware that you know like many people I'm a work in in, in progress and there are times that I have to be really really mindful about uh, about being using the, the skills that I've made a career out of.
0: Yeah, and I have to close out, very very quickly. I would say that what you just said is actually the goal, that we never reach the end point, that the goal is to continue to reflect and build and question ourselves. We're not perfect. We're human beings. We are what we are. Of course, how we process that and what we make sense of it or, and do with it makes a difference. I think it's a continuum of a constantly change, transformation, and that's what I would celebrate with you.
1: Well, thank you, sir. Um, well, Greg, thanks. Okay. Uh, I imagine we're running out of our time. Yeah, thank we you are. so much for having me uh, on once again. It's a pleasure, as always, and uh, thinking about you and your mom.
0: Thank you, and happy Mother's Day for you and Ronnie. Take care. Okay.
1: Thanks, Greg. All, right. All the best.
0: You too. Bye-bye.